Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Nigel Chamier, Chairman at the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games Corporation. It's wonderful to have you along today, and I'm really looking forward to bringing this discussion with Nigel to you. Before I introduce him, let me briefly introduce myself for those people who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy solutions for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if I can be of any assistance to you, please don't hesitate in reaching out to me either via our website or LinkedIn, and I look forward to seeing how we can be of service. Let me now introduce to you Nigel Chamio. Nigel Chamier is Chairman of the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games Corporation and the Commonwealth Games Infrastructure Authority. He has been the Honorary Consul for Sweden since 2000 and is the immediate past president of the Brisbane Club. A Fellow of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, a Fellow of the Australian Property Institute and a Fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Mr. Chamio was awarded a Medal of the Order of Australia in 1994 for services to the property industry and in June 2008 was awarded the Royal Order of the Polar Star for services to Sweden. Most recently he was awarded an AM which is a member of the Order of Australia. Nigel has recently overseen the highly acclaimed $215 million restoration of the Brisbane City Hall and played a major role in the development of some of Brisbane's landmark buildings like Central Plaza and Riverside in Eagle Street. For some 20 years, Nigel had a highly successful career with Jones Lang LaSalle retiring as Joint Managing Director in 1991. Other current non-executive directorships include Queensland Airports Limited. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Mr. Nigel Chamier. Well, Nigel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Arate podcast. It's great to have you here. And perhaps just to begin the conversation, if you could have a chat to us about your current professional responsibilities, please. Thanks, Richard. Well, it's lovely to be here. And I must say that I consider myself extremely lucky because I have a portfolio of interests. Uh, without doubt though, the most important one is as chair of the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games Corporation, mm -hmm. because that's really all about helping people and changing people's lives. Mm -hmm. So I consider myself very privileged to have that role. Um, I also chair the Infrastructure Authority, which is responsible for the delivery of the Commonwealth Games Village mm -hmm. and the various uh, $320 million that the government have committed for the, for the venues. But I'm also involved in infrastructure um, through the Queensland Airports Group. Um, Queensland Airports Limited um, happens to be a 
the largest regional airport operator mm-hmm. in Australia, and we have the Gold Coast Airport, Townsville, Mount Isa and Longreach, and that's just fascinating looking mm-hmm. at the role of airports and and the opportunities there. So we're embarking on very major expansion plans for those. You sit on their board? Yes, I have okay. a role there as a non-executive director. Okay. I've also been asked to chair the property committee mm-hmm. uh, that deals with the, the fact that we're doubling the size of um, the Gold Coast Airport and we're spending uh, $40 million in Townsville as well. Okay. A number of other things I do. I've been fortunate to um, represent Sweden mm-hmm. as the honorary consul for Sweden for nearly... 15 and a bit years, mm-hmm. uh, coming up 16 years towards the end of the year, and that's another role I greatly enjoy, plus a, a group of um, smaller boards and things I'm involved in are looking after my own affairs. Okay. Well, I'm interested to understand uh, how those various uh, opportunities came about, but perhaps we'll, uh, we'll come to that in a little while. So why don't you take us back to where it all began and uh, where you were born and your early life, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, etc. Well, I was born in London. Okay. Um, and have uh, two sisters and a brother. Mm-hmm. My parents, very, very wisely, and a decision I'm always very grateful for, decided to come to Australia when I was 13. Okay. So I had the benefit of being brought up in Bundaberg. Right. Which was a great city in the 60s. You can sure. imagine what it was like, with sugar prices booming. And um, I lived there, went to school there. Then I did go back to London as part of a travelling program and studied and worked in London for a couple of years, got married and came back to Australia. Okay, and what brought your parents to Australia? What did they do? Better lifestyle for their children. Okay. Simple as that. Right, and what sort of work were they in to take them to Bundaberg? Um, Nothing really. Okay. Um, My father had been in the army. Mm -hmm. He he served in the Middle East. He went back to India, where several generations of the family had been. Sure. Um, After the war, my father... Um, realised that in 1947 things were going to change with the partition of India mm-hmm. and he elected to go to London mm-hmm. um, with uh, my mother, who's still alive at 93, by the way. Right, very and good. doing very, very well. Good genes. Good genes, I hope. <laughs> and uh, my brother and sister were there at the time and uh, my younger sister and I, of course, were born in London. Mm-hmm. But they, they loved it. They decided to... Um, come to Australia. My father was uh, a, a hospital administrator, okay. St. Bartholomew's Hospital, mm-hmm. and then um, elected to come to Australia and, and thought he was going to retire, but right. ended up with multiple opportunities, and uh-huh. all sorts of roles here. Which And, and so why specifically Bundaberg? It's an interesting Well, choice. we arrived in Brisbane mm-hmm. and bought this long wheelbase Land Rover, and mum and dad decided that the best thing they could do for their two younger children was to take us on an adventure. So right. we spent three months going from Brisbane up to the Gulf mm-hmm. and we saw a lot of things, we learned a lot of things, uh, learned a lot about Queensland and we started to wander back down the coast and came across Bundaberg, which we just loved. Right. And um, bought this place and uh-huh. went from there. Okay. And so you mentioned that you completed your high schooling there. Yes. And then did you go immediately back to London then? Yes, I did, or okay. via Canada. Right. Um, but yes, I arrived in London and mm-hmm. pretty well a few days later started work at Lloyds Bank. Okay. And at the same time doing some study as well? Absolutely. Right. And what were you studying then? Banking. Okay. So I'd go to night school three nights a week. Right. And uh, I would work in a pub on Wimbledon Common three nights a week, which left me one night a week 
for other things. Yeah, sure. And then, uh, uh, so you, your career was in the banking industry to begin with. At what point did you move into commercial real estate? Well, I came back, or I met my wife, and uh, I was only 19. We got married at 20. Right. Came back to Australia and um, very fortunate to arrive in Brisbane. And I was really thinking about the finance industry. Mm-hmm. And I saw a position advertised as an assistant leasing negotiator. And I thought, leasing, that's finance. Right. I know all about that. <laughs> and so I applied for this role, and it's the only job I've ever actually applied for. Right. And I walked into the interview, and gradually it became apparent to me that they were talking about leasing office buildings, sure. not, not leasing as in finance. And this was in Brisbane? That was a then a firm called Jones Lang Wooden, now yes. JLL. Yes. And the old Wool Exchange in Eagle Street in mm-hmm. Brisbane in 1972. Okay. Right. And was the main reason coming back to Australia to be closer to your family? Absolutely. And right. I said to Kate, you know, that was part of the plan. And okay. she understood it and she took a big punt. She's right. the only one in Australia. Okay. So she took on punt on marrying me and coming to uh-huh. Australia. And you had quite a lengthy career with uh, JLW. Very JLL. much so. Right. I was very fortunate. Um, to have been made a partner at 26 mm-hmm. and, uh, and then a big part of growing the business throughout, mm-hmm. not just Australia, but Asia okay. um, in the 70s and 80s. So, so what were a, some of the key milestones during that period? Well, the most important thing for me, and I think I'm most proud of, is the legacy of the people. So mm-hmm. we had a philosophy of taking on graduates and school leavers and training them into the system. So mm-hmm. I'm most proud of all of the people. And at one stage, the principals of all of the major firms in Queensland were people that right. my partner, John Torme, and I had employed. Right. And, uh, and that was lovely. And so people like Stephen Connery, who's mm-hmm. the regional CEO of uh, JLL, um, I'm very proud of the fact that he came to see us straight after grade 12 and we mm-hmm. took him on 33 years ago. Right. And it just proves that um, you can study after hours Mm -hmm. and you can do very well in life and Stephen is one of those classic people that's done exactly that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at its largest whilst you were working for James Langlaisal, what was the mandate of your role? How big a team? Well I was privileged, there were were two of us, John Torme, a good friend of mine, he and I were given the chance to run it um, from our late 20s and then then he took on a role. as one of five running the Australasian business, and mm-hmm. I took a role as one of five running the Pacific okay. business. So whilst uh, we were both always based here in Brisbane, mm-hmm. we travelled extensively and mm-hmm. I had the benefit of being involved in the opening up and expansion of the Asian operations. Okay. And so uh, at what point did you decide to leave James Lang LaSalle? Well, I was just very fortunate to have been there during some very good years. Mm-hmm. And so I turned uh, 40. I had a new 10-year partnership agreement I had to sign, and Kate and I had a series of long chats about it, and we felt that um, as great as it had been, maybe it was time to Mm -hmm. uh, sit back and uh, reassess things, and that's exactly what we did. And so we took one daughter who was about to go into university and my younger daughter who was about to go into grade 10, we took them both with us and my eldest daughter's boyfriend, and we went to live in Tuscany. Okay. And, you know, what a wonderful opportunity. Sure. Having been so busy just to spend so much quality time with the children. And um, we read a lot, mm-hmm. travelled a lot. Okay. Drank a lot. Right. So how long were you there for? 
Six months. Okay. And while you were there, you were starting to give consideration to what's the next chapter of your professional life? Yes, I was. Right. Okay. And what were some of the options that you were considering at the time? Well, I wrote out a list, and I still have that list, and it takes up a full scat page right. of all the options as to going to do my own development work, to mm-hmm. go in with one of the major development firms, uh, to go to university and do a law degree, which I, you know, I'm, I'm still amazed by the clarity of thinking that all the legal friends I have, have. Right. And I think that's just a brilliant degree if you can get one. So I did think seriously about that. Um, look, there was endless opportunities, but I would obviously never go back to a competing firm. Mm-hmm. I promised my firm that I uh, would go back as a consultant, which I did mm-hmm. for some time, and then elected to move on. Okay. And, and what was next then? Well, I was at a lunch one day... Um, not long, within a matter of weeks of getting back and uh, Jim Sawley had just been elected as Lord Mayor of the City of Brisbane and he approached me after this lunch and asked me if I would join and then subsequently take over as Chair of the Office of Economic Development for the okay. City of Brisbane, mm-hmm. which is a role I was privileged to have for about 11 years. So right. that was all about creating jobs mm-hmm. and, um, and bringing capital into Brisbane, mm-hmm. something I had always tried to do in my sure. previous 20-odd years. And that was a full-time engagement? No, no, no. That was another volunteer role. Most of the things you do right. at the stage of your life are in a voluntary capacity sure. or close to that. Um, but th- that I loved, and we got things like um, a bid together, uh, which was successful for the acquisition of Brisbane Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, things that um, sometimes when you've got a little bit more time, you can sit back and look objectively mm-hmm. at the opportunities ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And so the acquisition of Brisbane Airport was obviously something you're quite proud of from that time. What were some of the other uh, key initiatives that you drove that uh, you'd look back on and, and feel made a, a substantive difference to Brisbane? Well, um, so many head offices, as you would appreciate. Sure. Um, Brisbane's always been a place that strived to get and compete with Sydney and Melbourne in terms mm-hmm. of attracting the major corporations. But look, we, we were very lucky to have um, had a great talented team of people that have all gone on to do extremely well. These are business development managers mm-hmm. that often came to us from university. They're all corporate leaders around the market today mm-hmm. and doing extremely well. So I, I'm very proud of that. Um, but we had a goal. We used to try and create 5,000 jobs a year and a billion okay. dollars worth of economic activity that was the goal right and uh, we used to hit that okay and so uh the period that you were there that 11 years roughly when was that when did that finish what uh year oh um early 2000 right and were you doing uh you were involved in some other things at the same time oh yes look i i've um been fortunate enough to uh do a number of small residential developments in that era which Mm -hmm. i thoroughly enjoyed with a friend of mine um I've always been fortunate there's plenty of opportunities sure. that have come up without asking for them. You mm-hmm. know, I was asked 15 years ago if I would take on this role as the um, honorary consul for Sweden, okay. which has been another wonderful opportunity sure. that has enabled me to meet and help all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I still do and still enjoy. Right. So how do you get on the radar for an opportunity like that? Uh, you're not from Sweden. Uh how did you come to their attention as being the right person for that role? Well, the managing partner of Clayton Utes, Mr. Freeligas, uh, he was the honorary consul general for Greece, okay. as was his father before him. Right. And he asked me one day if I was busy the right. following afternoon and would I like to meet the ambassador for Sweden, who was okay. 
in Brisbane and was looking for a new consul. Right. And uh, I thought about it and went along and it was great. Okay. And uh, he asked me if I ever came to Canberra and I happened to say that the following week I would be down there and my wife and I went and had afternoon tea with him and before you knew it, it had happened. Right. And for people who are listening who don't really understand what a consul does, what's uh, the range of responsibilities that you have in that role? Well, quite significant. Um, obviously, you look after people that have a distressing situation. Okay. So they could be... And think about it this way, Richard, if one of your children were in um, anywhere overseas mm-hmm. and they had an accident, sometimes there's a death involved, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a serious injury, sometimes it could be a misdemeanour with the law. Uh, so you'd like to think that there was a fellow Australian over there that could help look after them or someone that had their interests at heart. So there is a fair bit of that that goes okay. on. Um, you know, if there's a major motor accident, I get mm-hmm. notified and I take the appropriate action to deal with that. And unfortunately, there are some of those. Um, helping out on trade matters is very, very significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing better than the opportunity of introducing a Queensland company that might have an interest in doing business in Sweden. And a Swedish politician comes this way or a member of the royal family get involved. Um, and as a result of that, you meet some wonderful friends. I'm sure. And so is your mandate for that role the whole of Australia or Queensland? No, 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 no. The, the way it works is that um, virtually every country has an embassy in Canberra mm-hmm. and the ambassador and the key staff are mm-hmm. full-time career diplomats and they appoint honorary consuls mm-hmm. in most states. Okay. Some of them only have honorary consuls in one or two states. Uh, others have most of the territory. Government. Right. And so the role is predominantly on an as-required basis rather than a set amount of time each week? Well, when I started out, I had two Swedish girls for the first five years right. working full-time. Okay. Uh, now, because of the way so much of it's computerised mm-hmm. and you can apply for so many working visas and things on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, that's cut down to one lady two mornings a week. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's it's like everything else in life, Richard. If there's an accident or something that you have to be involved in, sure, you, um, you drop mm-hmm. tools and deal with it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, a week or two can go by and there's no direct involvement for me. Mm-hmm. And before we start talking about the Commonwealth Games, what are some of the other more interesting things you've been involved in that uh, you'd look back on and say these have been particularly exciting or uh, challenging uh, opportunities that you've had to deal with? Well, one of the standouts for me was City Hall, Mm -hmm. and I was asked to chair a little task force uh, for the then Lord Mayor Mm -hmm. to work out what we could do with City Hall, because it's literally falling apart. Mm. And we, in a period of six months, formed this committee, completed a report, and then I was given the opportunity, and to me a privilege, of uh, going into council chambers and speaking to both sides, um, both political parties. And I'm pleased to say that whilst we started off uh, in public survey saying that only um, uh, 40% of or 40% of the population felt we should demolish the building, mm-hmm. and 60% said we should keep it. Mm-hmm. And we changed that around and we went ahead and we put forward a budget of $215 million. I told the council that they would have to vacate the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to say Graham Quirk and, 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 and Campbell Newman were brilliant, um, very supportive and we bought it in on time and on budget. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm terribly proud of. And if you go into City Hall today and just have a look at what a tragedy it would have been if we'd lost that building. Mm. 
but it's it's a lovely building it's won so many awards and you if you start looking at the detail and then uh, you can see what brilliant craftsmen we have here in Brisbane here sure. in Queensland that are so talented mm. we could export that talent all over the world so Brisbane City Council have got some great people um, but the contracting firms involved were just stunning the consultants kept coming up with innovative ideas we decided we'd make the building as earthquake proof as you can right which it wasn't before mm -hmm. so we've taken a long-term view and I think that's mm -hmm. that to me is just wonderful when I you know, walked in there with um, people from all political sides and they look at it and they say wow thank goodness we preserve this yes I must admit uh, I've had a uh the requirement to go there for a few meetings and uh, it is completely transformed. Mm -hmm. uh, what was something that you wouldn't want to go to necessarily is now in itself become quite an attraction to just go and, and appreciate what's been done. It's an amazing uh, uh, piece of architecture, that's for sure. And so um, uh, tell us, how did the opportunity to become involved with the Commonwealth Games come about? Well, I was just asked out of the blue right. if I would uh, chair the corporation and I was surprised and thrilled and greatly honoured mm -hmm. and it's been a life-changing event for me mm -hmm. and um, I relish it. Right. So who, who asked you that question? The Premier. Right. Okay. And, uh, and so at what point did you become involved? Uh, obviously, it's a long-term engagement to take it all the way through to 2018. Where was it uh, in terms of... Um, uh, fruition when you, when you joined? Was it a completely greenfield start or had things already been put in place? No, well, uh, my predecessor, Mark Stockwell, who I greatly admire, a very successful Brisbane uh, yes. developer and businessman who's, who's contributed so much to the city and indeed the state. Um, Mark was there for the bid, mm -hmm. which we won in November uh, 2011, mm -hmm. and then I was asked to take over a few months later. So right. it was early 2012. And so when you step into a role like that, uh, there's a huge amount of expectation and uh, no doubt uh, some trepidation. What, what, how, do you, how do you start? What, what were some of the things that you thought about in terms of this idea of first 90 days to get your head around the complexities of it? Well, obviously talking to experts in the field. So mm -hmm. I was very lucky there. Um, I was able to draw on the expertise of people that were involved in the bid and then... Uh, Mark Peters, our CEO, um, who had spent his career, in, most of his career in, in sports administration, um, very a brilliant deputy chair in Sam Coffer, he's the president of the um, Australian Commonwealth Games Association, and uh, we decided that one of the key things was to bring the infrastructure on early. Mm -hmm. So we have a budget of $320 million for the new venues, and I'm really pleased to say that um, my minister, Sterling Hinchcliffe, and before him, Kate Jones, uh, have really continued to push this. And all of the new infrastructure is going to be finished a year or more ahead mm -hmm. of the opening ceremony, which is the 4th of April, mm -hmm. 2018. So we haven't yet come up to the two-year right. period, but it has gone extremely well. Mm -hmm. So we've had the Aquatic Centre finished the new velodrome in Brisbane, which is a $58 million uh, facility. Um, that's only a few months away from completion. A brand new facility at Coomera, Sports and Leisure Centre. Um, some $40 million there. You know, the roof's on, the cladding's there, glazing's in. Um, we're only a few months away from completion there. 
So I look back at all the key risks and the delivery of the infrastructure is one. Staffing is obviously another big issue because we blow out to about uh, 900 full-time equivalent mm-hmm. staff members, uh, but that a lot of the people on top of that are just there for four weeks or sure. six weeks mm-hmm. in the early part of 2018. So we have got some great people. Mm-hmm. And uh, infrastructure is uh, often the thing that these games are most criticised about, where things seem to be running very close to the opening uh, day, but you've achieved such a fantastic outcome. What were some of the uh, the initiatives that you drove in order to enable you to be able to get uh, your infrastructure a year ahead of schedule? Well, the government have been just so committed to this. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I couldn't speak more highly of the state government in terms of what they've driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also bear in mind that we've got um, $156 million from the federal government. They've paid that up front as a contribution. And the Gold Coast City Council are another key stakeholder. And they've put in $101 million in cash and uh, another $100 million in kind. So there are a lot of players involved. The royal family regard this as very important to them. It's okay. one of their most important things and, and a way to unite the Commonwealth. We've got the Commonwealth Games Federation, which is based uh, in London and comprises the 71 different Commonwealth Games associations from around the world. Uh, they delegate the authority to the Australian Commonwealth Games Association mm-hmm. and um, they comprise half of our board and half appointed by the state. Mm-hmm. And obviously uh, the Commonwealth Games has been running for a very long time and different cities have hosted it. Is there uh, a knowledge bank that you can draw upon in terms of reaching out to people who have been there before and and uh, heed their advice, etc.? Absolutely. So this is the 21st Commonwealth Games, the mm-hmm. fifth in Australia and the second in Queensland, the first time ever in Australia in a regional city. Mm -hmm. So we are pioneering in that respect. We are fortunate that there is something called the knowledge transfer fee. And Richard, that is a payment of one and a half million pounds, which we receive after the event. Right. I'm talking about the government. Okay, yeah. Um, We receive after the event if we're deemed to be seen to be fully cooperational in terms of our relationship with the next host city, okay, which is Durban. Right. First time ever the Games are going to be held in Africa. Uh-huh. And so for us, it's important to ensure the success of the next Games as well. So Glasgow was terribly important for us. Mm-hmm. They were so good as to allow us to attend all their key meetings. We had staff in sconce there, not just our own team mm-hmm. of the Commonwealth Games Corporation, but indeed police, transport, okay. security people. So we were able to draw on the expertise there. We're also fortunate that um, we had G20, which was a great success here in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. We were able to draw on the expertise Mm. that's occurred there. So Queensland has got some great people. Absolutely. I interviewed uh, Jeff Way for my podcast recently. And, I mean, G20 was almost faultless, wasn't it? Uh, From a security point of view, uh, uh, I think we were amazed at how easeful and, and gracious it was. Um, so I imagine that Queensland's developed quite a reputation off the back of that, mm. uh, which no doubt many other cities around the world would be quite envious of. 
Yes. Mm. And one of the things we didn't talk uh, through while we were going through this was in 1994 being awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia. Uh, you're the first person on my podcast to have uh, been acknowledged in that way. Congratulations. So Thank that you. must have been quite an amazing honour. That was. Right. I was very, very touched and totally surprised, as I was earlier this year, to receive the next level up, the AM. Right. Uh, which I was um, honoured to receive um, on Australia Day this year. Mm-hmm. So how, for, again, for people who are listening who don't understand, what's really the difference between those two awards? Well, the um, an OAM really reflects, or primarily reflects, local involvement within mm-hmm. the community, whereas an AM might be statewide and okay. an AO more Australia okay. So I was fortunate that um, I was given this AM in January for contributions to economic development but preservation of historic buildings because that's something I've become very passionate about. Mm -hmm. Obviously I've mentioned City Hall. The other one that together with uh, a group of uh, very clever people I'm involved in now is the restoration of Anzac Square Mm -hmm. which is actually a state memorial even though it's in Brisbane. Yes. And uh, that building had many of the same issues as Brisbane City Hall. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of water coming through the building. Mm-hmm. You could no longer inhabit the area underneath where the RSL had their offices. Okay. The crypt itself was damaged mm-hmm. and the um, the plaques were in danger of being permanently damaged. So we closed that and have completed um, the first main phase, which is making it waterproof. Mm-hmm. And next month, um, well before Anzac Day, we'll have the Croft area and the crypt fully restored okay. and open to the public. Oh, great. And I think uh, when we caught up recently, you mentioned that there'd been some uh, uh, historical discoveries in relation to the site, which were quite exciting. Well, they certainly were, Richard. So we were very interested to find an old wall, right? Um, which was hidden away behind plasterboard and everything else mm-hmm. um, that we've been able to restore. Right. And, you know, it goes back to the 1800s, which to some people listening might not seem a long time ago sure. or not that important to preserve. But for a modern city like Brisbane, um, these sorts of things are terribly important. Mm-hmm. Likewise, just jumping back to City Hall, when we were excavating uh, the area underneath, we discovered some stables and okay. roads and trains, right. all of which we preserved. We actually pulled up the paving right. and that paving is in the forecourts in the building today. Okay. So it's a bit of preserving our history, which mm-hmm. I think we all have an obligation on mm-hmm. each other well, and the next generations to, mm-hmm. to look after. And the final thing I'm interested in talking about and how you and I first met through the Brisbane Club, uh, you're the immediate past president there and, uh, and a very proud member. Uh, talk to us about um, your involvement with the Brisbane Club and, and what that's meant to you. Well, it's been a wonderful opportunity to meet some fascinating people and have a home away from home. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to join 36 years ago and seven and a half years ago invited to join the committee and therefore had last year as president. And yes. Come July this year, I'll stand down from the committee. It, it is a wonderful organisation that's grown and grown and grown. It's got a great balance sheet. It's got zero debt and a fair bit of cash. It's got a beautiful collection of artwork which you've mm-hmm. seen and for three years in a row it's one of the best seller in the country mm-hmm. and for um, for members that haven't seen it um, go and have a look and for people that are genuinely interested 
um, make an approach to the club and we'll organise to um, take you down and show it to you. But it's a wonderful way to meet people. I know that 36 years ago when I joined, I was very apprehensive about walking in there with the doyens of industry, and um, but they always made me feel very welcome and just a lovely way to meet people and to learn so much about arts and culture and mm -hmm. so much of it so much of what makes up life today, Richard. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, one of the things I'm interested in, you've been involved in the, uh, the business landscape of Brisbane for a long time and uh, through a period of substantial change and growth. What, how would you describe the attitudinal change within Australia, particularly uh, within Brisbane, I beg your pardon, particularly in re um, relation to is we've become a, a more sophisticated and, and complex uh, business environment, as you said, attracting more and more head offices uh, to the city. What are some of the substantive changes that you've noticed uh, during that period? Well, let's go back 44 years to when I started work in JLL in the Wool Exchange building, mm -hmm. uh, which was in Eagle Street. And there were literally, this is where the wool was sold and traded. And it was a lovely building where Riparian now stands. There were wharves with ships tied up behind them at the back. Um, Eagle Street was full of shipping companies and insurance companies. Mm -hmm. and there was no building over three or four storeys. And I was fortunate enough to have been involved in the amalgamation of the land, 23 freehold properties and 77 leases that we bought out to create what's now the Riverside yes. Precinct mm -hmm. and create buildings like Riverside. Sure. And, of course... Um, others that have since followed and then things like Central Plaza. So we have been very lucky, I think, in Brisbane over this last 30 and 40 years to witness a lot of commitment by our institutions to making the city a better place. They see it as a great opportunity and the results speak for themselves. We've got some of the finest buildings in the world. We've got mm -hmm. some of the best retail in the world. And Brisbane is a vibrant hub. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very important city on the Australian landscape, mm -hmm. and indeed internationally. And what about, I know from my own perspective, having been in business here for a long time, uh, there has been historically this view that Brisbane's a bit of a sleepy old town and the pace of business is nothing here as it is, say, in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, what, what's your thoughts? Is, it, is that still the case? or Totally disagree. Yeah. Um, I think Brisbane is one of the most vibrant cities. We're never going to have the manufacturing base of Melbourne mm -hmm. or the financial cloud of Sydney, mm -hmm. not for a hundred years perhaps. Sure. Um, should never say never. Um, but if you look at what we have got and how we've been able to diversify the economy um, on the Gold Coast, where I'm particularly uh, interested now, we've witnessed the, the move from the tourism and construction industry to quite a diversified economy. Mm -hmm. And much the same in Brisbane, I think, with the downturn in the mining sector. We're making huge advances in health, biotechnology. We've got some great companies here. I know the state government are very committed to making more happen. And indeed, the results are on the table now. So I'm very bullish about our city's um, short, medium and long-term future. I couldn't think of a better place to bring up my grandchildren. Mm. And I, I must admit, from my own point of view, I've always looked at these comments and thought, well, people in Brisbane seem to work just as hard here as they do in Sydney and Melbourne. And uh, the uh, innovation and uh, things that are coming out of the city 
in my opinion, you know, uh, equivalent to any major city around the world rather than just being compared to Sydney or Melbourne. Um, in terms of your own uh, situation, uh, when you look towards the future now, what are the kinds of things that you're excited about getting involved with uh, perhaps post uh, the Commonwealth Games? Well, I'm very focused on delivering for the Premier the best outcome. And sure. I know that, you know, I'm in a very privileged position. Uh, we are kicking so many goals and I'm really focused on delivering the best ever game on the 4th of April 2018. I feel comfortable but not complacent mm -hmm. about where we're at right now. Um, some of the deals we're doing, Richard, um, on Monday last week, we announced a partnership with TAFE. So we need 15,000 volunteers. Mm -hmm. So we have contracted with TAFE Queensland to train those 15,000 volunteers. Okay. Right. And to get 15,000 means that they've actually got to train a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And we've got the ability now uh, to draw on their skills and expertise, not just on the Gold Coast and Brisbane, but throughout the state of Queensland. We've got a partnership with Griffith University. Mm -hmm. We have 300 interns of theirs that are going to be working with us. Some have already started um, over the next uh, two years or so. Uh, they have, as part of their deal, uh, committed to a number of scholarships. Mm -hmm. And the first one of those is going to be announced later this week. So these are changing people's lives. Mm -hmm. Whether you come in as a volunteer, your life will change. We are changing all sorts of opportunities for the better for people. I think that we're all getting healthier. I know that on my very first interview, I was asked what sports I play right. and what community activities am I involved in. And uh, I committed there and then, at the age of 61, to do a half marathon, right. which I did three months later. Good for you. And I finished it on the last Gold Coast. Year on the Gold Coast. All right. The Gold Coast Airport Marathon, or half yes. marathon in my case. But I finished it with a, with a qualifying time. Last year, I was lucky enough to be helped by one of my son-in-laws and my grandson, eldest grandson, and we did a triathlon okay. at Raby Bay. Right. And it mightn't seem much to you, but... These are big deals. Oh, and, for uh, sure. So, you know, I'm very lucky that it certainly changed my life in mm -hmm. terms of fitness. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all uh, very focused these days uh, with a government uh, very conscious of health issues to try and be fitter mm -hmm. and uh, embrace more sports. Mm -hmm. So that's another outcome for the game. So there are so many things happening at so many different levels that we have no choice but to press ahead and change people's lives. And we're doing it. And so at what point do you hand over uh, the role? Uh, is it at the conclusion of the Games or, or sometime after that? No, I've been contracted um, together with the board to wind up the entity. So mm -hmm. I would hope that um, uh, the Games will finish um, 11 days after we start, the 15th of April. Right. And I'd like to think that in the next four or five months, we'll have wound the whole thing up, certainly well before the end of 2018. Mm -hmm. And we'll all go on to hopefully add value and contribute to some other part of the economy. Right, very good. Now, uh, the main motivation for this podcast is for the audience of aspiring CEOs and non-executive directors to listen to those who have walked the path before them and uh, learn. No doubt you've had exposure, not only in terms of developing your own teams, and as you said, many of your, uh, uh, your greatest uh, rewards are developing and seeing others succeed. What if you were advising people uh, earlier in their career about some of the attributes to develop in order to uh, accelerate their success, what, what would you say? 
Well, you can't do everything, and I've been, I've got a view that you surround yourself with good people, mm-hmm. um, and you work together as a team. So there's a lot of coordination involved. Um, you know, I don't think that people can be an engineer and a chartered accountant and a marketing mm-hmm. skills. You know, it's very rare to have all the skill sets you need, plus your knowledge of corporate law. So get good people, surround yourself with good people and move on. And that's that's what I've been lucky enough to have been able to achieve. Mm-hmm. And do you think that uh, uh, people tend to try and do too much? Would you say that's a common uh, thing that you notice in younger, more ambitious people? No, I don't think so. I, um, I've found very few examples of that. I think mm-hmm. most, most younger people are very committed. It does mean a long, long hours, long days, mm-hmm. but the rewards are there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've mentioned that you're enjoying your sports and triathlons and so on. What are some of the other things that you do to keep yourself energised uh, when you're not so busy working? Well, I've got a wonderful trainer I see three days a week. Right. And uh, I'll be going there later this afternoon. Okay. And she keeps me on my toes, literally. Right. Um, and so, I mean, one of the things I want to do is to actually learn the rules and participate in every sport um, that we've got in the Commonwealth Games. Okay. And things like badminton, for example, which I've never played. Right. And I haven't watched a whole game all the way through is something I'm very keen to do. And this is one of the benefits that... Um, the state government have been very successful in achieving. So we have the World Badminton Championships okay. coming to the Gold Coast in one of our venues next year. Mm-hmm. It's a great trial event. Sure. And badminton, do you know how many people we anticipate will be watching this event on television? Well, I know that it's extremely popular through Asia and India, isn't that right? So we're expecting, it is. So we're expecting half a billion people to watch wow. it. Now you can imagine they'll also have a look at the skyline of the Gold Coast and right. Brisbane. sure. And they'll want to come to Australia. Yeah. They'll want to come to Queensland in particular. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's much the same for the Commonwealth Games themselves, where we anticipate a cumulative audience of 1.5 billion people. Mm-hmm. 1.5 billion people. We could never afford the publicity mm-hmm. um, for, the, for the time that we can buy. Sure. So these sorts of things, yet again, they change... They change cities and they change people's lives. So mm-hmm. the ongoing benefits will be huge. Mm-hmm. But we've got World Bowls, World Triathlon, so many events that wouldn't have come but for the new infrastructure and the commitment of Kate Jones as, um, as uh, Minister for Tourism, amongst other things, who's driving these things. And uh, it's and a good news story. Good. And so your intention is to learn the rules and participate in every sport. Yeah. Right. Well, that's. Uh, I just. I'd love. I'd love to give it a go. Now, <laughs> that's quite a checklist. Well, there. Yes. I don't know how I'll go in rugby sevens, but at least All I'll right. go on the field for sixty seconds or something. Oh, very good. Well, look, I really appreciate you taking the time. Before we uh, close it out, because I know you've got a, a busy day still ahead of you. Is there anything that you'd like to uh, end with in terms of advice or your thoughts uh, to people who are listening in? particularly in relation to their careers and and uh, and allowing them to hopefully have comparable success to yourself? Well, I think we're all extremely fortunate to live in Queensland. I think it's the best state in Australia, and indeed Australia is the best country in the world we could possibly live in. So we're very fortunate to have endless opportunities, get out there, enjoy them, make the most of them, and don't forget what surrounds us, you know, a great state. Mm-hmm. Well, Nigel, I really appreciate your time and have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you, Richard. It's a privilege to be here.
Thanks again for joining us. And I found that conversation with Nigel fascinating. And certainly within the Brisbane landscape, uh, it must be amazing for him to be able to look across the city and see what an influential role he's had in the development and the growing sophistication of Brisbane as a city within Australia. I really look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic afternoon.